Hello, and welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this week's episode of the podcast number 212. Uh, What's a better way to understand the person you're trying to victimize than understanding their habits, whether they're browsing habits, buying habits, phone location? That way you can have a better chance that whatever scam you're trying to run has success. Data leaks, data breaches, and data dumps are so common these days that they don't even attract that much attention. Back in 2013, news that hackers had stolen data on just tens of millions of customers of the software maker Adobe dominated the headlines for days. These days, news that companies like Facebook or LinkedIn lost track of data on hundreds of millions of their users barely registered a collective shrug. Data leaks and data breaches have become just the price of doing business online. But those who are ready to be blasé about breaches may be overlooking the role that leaked and stolen data plays in other more serious problems, such as targeted cyber attacks. Data lifted today from a health insurer, government agency, or retailer often informs tomorrow's targeted spear phishing attack that can steal sensitive intellectual property, redirect government secrets, or fuel attacks on critical infrastructure. That's a conclusion of a recent report by the company Intel 471. That company made a study of how Chinese cybercriminal groups were using big data technology to monetize the data, often stolen, that they obtained in the Chinese language underground. The company's study revealed a sophisticated cybercriminal ecosystem involving data buyers, data brokers, and the thieves, often insiders, with access to sensitive information. In this interview, we invited Brandon Hoffman, the Chief Information Security Officer at Intel 471, into the studio to talk about that company's report and the way that the market for stolen data has created a number of sub-economies that help fuel cybercrime. To start off, I asked Brandon to tell us a bit about him and Intel 471 and also talk about the market for big data in China and how it is similar and also different from the market in the United States. My name is Brandon Hoffman. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer at Intel 471. So Intel 471, uh, we're the premier provider of uh, cybercrime threat intelligence. And so we collect and disseminate information on cybercriminal activity to help our clients better protect themselves from falling victim now and in the future. You just came out with a report just this week um, talking about um, some observations that Intel 471 did on activity that's happening within the Chinese language market. So these are obviously Chinese-speaking countries. Talk just a little bit about that report. Uh, The report, uh, you know, at a high level is talking about big data uh, as an industry unto itself, Uh, not just in China. I mean, in this report, it's just about that. Uh, But, but, um, you know, big data at large and the types of ways that kind of sub-economies uh, related to cybercrime start to manifest themselves um, underneath bigger kind of canopy economies like big data. You know, you talk about the Chinese big data industry. Talk about, I mean, I think we're all kind of familiar with the market for data here in the West um, via companies like Facebook and LinkedIn and Google and so on. But how does that translate over in in China? What is the China, Chinese marketplace for data and is it you know similar to identical to or, or different from what we're used to or what we experience here in the west uh i mean i think it's pretty similar there are some differences in the sense that a lot of this big data um, is collected 
you know, a little bit more around, I guess what you would say, state controlled entities. Um, you know, for example, telecommunications is a big source of that data. And I'm not saying it's not the case here in the US, but you know, here it's social media and, and things like that. And telecom has, a, has its own play. Uh, things like the IoT, so uh, device manufacturers and, and service providers around that, um, you know, has kind of, you know, fueled a lot of that. Um, and so in China, you know, it's, everything's a little bit more consolidated, so to speak. And so that helps kind of, <laughs> I'm being polite. That's, that's one um, word for it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm being polite. That, that helps fuel the, uh, the technology and output around something that, you know, when you were trying to collect data and analyze it in a single place, it becomes a little bit more streamlined when you're in that situation. One of the things that you observed is that there is a, obviously there's a market for consumer data. There's an kind of above board and below board market for consumer data, but that in the cyber criminal realm, that this market for data is quite complex and diversified. Could you just talk a little bit about kind of how it works? What is that market? What are, who are the buyers and sellers and, and kind of what are they, what are they after? I'll just leave the legitimate market aside because everybody's yeah reasonably familiar with that. I mean, in this situation, basically what's happening is there's, I guess you could say like a, a group, a cyber criminal gang or a group of people who work in what's called big data underground derivatives. So the, the data that can be derived from it, underground meaning because it's used for a non-legitimate purpose. So what happens essentially uh, is that somebody engages typically an insider to get a specific set of data from a big data source. In our observation, it would be service providers. So there might be other, uh, the data might be getting gathered through a variety of different means. It's being consolidated essentially at a service provider level for whatever reason they're using that information. Somebody will go and grab the data that's being requested by the crime group or crime syndicate, whatever term you want to use, mm -hmm. they provide that information to the crime group. Uh, they then give that to a middleman. Uh, they repackage it, right? They go to a middleman who can basically market it on an underground forum. You know, this is where people would say deep and dark web. We don't use that term. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, when you talk about an underground marketplace, that's where this middleman uh, provides this packaged data. And then uh, cyber criminals, mostly, you know, th threat actors that are performing scamming, phishing, uh, business email compromise, kind mm -hmm. of those types of attacks, and, and potentially more, and we can unpack that a little bit, buy this data for the purpose of basically what I would say reconnaissance. Uh, what's a better way to understand the person you're trying to victimize than understanding their habits, whether they're browsing habits, buying habits, phone location, you know, things like that. That way you can have a better chance that whatever scam you're trying to run has success. Uh, you know, imagine you're a situation where you're trying to get money from victims by scamming them by providing a fake uh, gaming website, right? If you have a set of data around specific people who consistently go to gaming websites, the name of those gaming websites, how yeah. much time they spend on them, what time during the day do they go to them? then you have a better chance of constructing a scam that's going to have success by victimizing those people. So, so uh, for example, a drive-by download site or something uh, that, that might put malicious software on their system or um, you know, harvest credentials or something like that. 
Yeah, or even just potentially a whole fake system that, you know, a, a site that mimics it where people say, okay, here's my credit card, load my account up. That that site is not the gaming site you've been going to, but it looks exactly the same. And it was there at the same time. Uh, so let's say you go to that gaming site every day at 6.30 p.m. At 6 p.m., you get a phishing email, but you don't know that. And it says, hey, this gaming site that you always use is offering you a $50 credit if you put $50 in. You're like, oh, well, I always go on at this time, so this makes sense. It feels more natural. Uh, just like when you go to Google and it pops up towels because you were talking about your bathroom, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of the same thing, except this is illegitimate, right? Yeah. Uh, same type of thing. It's funny, you know, it's like often with cybercrime, you think about kind of indiscriminate attacks and then there are more targeted attacks or spear phishing attacks where you're, you're after a, a person, individual, or a small group of people. Are these attacks, in your experience, they're targeted in that they have a specific profile of victim in mind, but it sounds like generally they're not after necessarily a specific individual, more like a category of individuals. Right. I mean, that by its very nature is cybercrime, yeah. as you describe it, right? I mean, it's cybercrime is by and large opportunistic. Yeah. You know, when you talk about nation state attack stuff, that's different, right? <laughs> that's intentional. You know, cyber criminals look for opportunity. Whatever the lowest barrier to entry is to get the money, that's what they're going to go after. So in this particular case, it's a question of have they asked for a specific set of data or do the cyber criminals look at the sets of data available and choose the one that they think they have the best chance of success with? I think it's probably that. And we haven't done enough analysis to determine, you know, why a specific set of data would appear. We think that, you know, the person, the boss who's requesting the data, who's then selling it to the middleman probably knows what kind of data will go for the best price. Mm hmm. And then the cyber criminals are looking at it saying, hey, look, I can develop an app that looks like that. So I'm going to buy that data set or opportunity, mm -hmm. right? So the people kind of collecting and selling this data, are they themselves part of these cyber criminal organizations or are they kind of a, are they sort of serving them? They're, they're sort of a, uh, an ancillary business to the cyber criminal one, maybe doing legitimate business in, in another channel, you know, kind of you know, these fell off the, uh, fell off the back of the truck. And so now we're going to, we're going to kind of sell it over here. Yeah. Well, there's, there's kind of two different streams here that we're talking about. There's the guys who get instructions from a boss, right? A mm -hmm. All right. And they have access to this data and they're going to go ahead and get it and sell it. Right. That's kind of like an insider threat situation. I don't know that we have evidence one way or the other, whether they're officially part of the, the gang or if they're just kind of freelancers and they just get, you know, they definitely get a, a piece of the of the pie, right? For getting the data, whether yeah. they're officially part of the crime group, I don't think we can say for sure. And also, we don't we don't have a, enough data to make a full analytical statement about this. Is that, you know, there are companies that legitimately package up this data for sure. for for companies that do direct marketing and other legitimate legal reasons. So we have the belief that. The opportunity exists for cyber criminals to act as if they're also a legitimate company and buy that data from a legitimate data broker as opposed to going through an insider and simply repackage it and sell it on the cybercrime underground the same as they were doing before. Now, we haven't gathered any evidence in this particular instance to say that's taking place, but certainly it doesn't seem like a stretch to believe it's happening. <laughs> How widespread is this problem? I mean, can we can we put some some numbers next to it or dollar signs? Unfortunately, no. Um, you know, and the reason we can't is is just because 
the pricing is just it's it's all over the place depending mm. on the type of data. Um, somebody else was asking me, you know, what about the end result? You know, the scammers, how much are they making? Mm. And it just it just depends on what the data is used for, right? I mean, it sounds like you know everybody listening to this is probably somewhat familiar with all the different types of cybercriminal activity. They have quite a range of profitability, <laughs> and so. It's hard for us to say because we can't really track those sets of data. Rather, we're just tracking what the actors are doing, right? Yeah. So that's really difficult to difficult one to answer, unfortunately. Each month, the Security Ledger podcast informs and entertains an audience of thousands of technology and information security professionals. If that sounds like an audience your company is trying to reach, consider sponsoring one of our podcasts. We offer per-episode sponsorships of our weekly podcasts, which feature news, analysis, and discussion of the most important cybersecurity topics of the day. Or you can commission a custom podcast to highlight your executives, researchers, and subject matter experts. To learn more, point your web browser to securityledger.com slash sponsor. You know, probably naively here in the West, we think of China as a country with a government that is, you know, almost kind of 1984-like, you know, the eye of the government and government control is extensive throughout the economy and obviously the um, civil society. Um, and it, it can be hard to believe that there might be um, kind of organized crime groups operating without the knowledge in some ways consent of the government. And we know in countries like Russia that there is a kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge relationship between cyber criminal groups and, and the Russian government. What, what do we know about the relationship between the Chinese government and these groups or even just the awareness of this problem by the Chinese government? Yeah, so the Chinese government has awareness of the issue. You know, there's nothing that leads us to believe that there's any collusion collusion yeah. between the government and these data providers. There's been several examples where, you know, state police have apprehended people um, that are working, you know, in these data companies that are working for even the, ch the state-owned telecom company mm -hmm. um, for essentially what's data privacy violation. Is the, uh, is the thought that there was somebody on the inside who was kind of providing the data? Yeah, or inappropriately providing the data to somebody they shouldn't be, right? Uh -huh. If it was mm -hmm. the case where, like, let's say you're a legitimate data broker, you know, or you have access to this data, why are you providing this information? It's a privacy violation. And certainly, <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody would necessarily think about China as a privacy forward country. Um, as you noted, you know, there is awareness of this problem. They're certainly making arrests. They're trying to pass some policy around it. To what end? We don't know, right? But I think it's probably to protect international business interests, right? Because, uh, you know, the more that people are worried about doing business with China, the more their economy will suffer. So either they're going to clamp this down and make sure that nobody finds out or they're going to address it. How does what you observed in the Chinese language market compare with what might exist in, you know, again, the cyber criminal underground or uh, dark markets in, you know, North America or, or Europe, Eastern, Western Europe? Um, mm. Are these pretty, pretty similar or are they kind of ahead of the curve uh, relative to, um, you know, parts of the world where we are? Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I'm glad you bring that up, right? I mean, it, this is not something that necessarily we want to sensationalize. Mm -hmm. I don't think that this is something dramatically deviant from any other yeah. uh, cyber criminal activity. It's just that, uh, you know, we observed it more clearly, right? Uh, certainly in the other cyber crime geographies that are popular, 
there is a there is a notion of data brokers. Yeah. Uh, there used to be a notion of more access brokers. Now people talk more about data brokers, which could include access. But it, again, to the point is, why do I want to target this person? Am I sure before I buy this, uh, this exploit or this piece of malware that it's going to work on the people I'm targeting or opportunistically, those are targets that I will have success with, right? And so yeah. this notion of having more data the reconnaissance phase of the victimology, yeah. you know, if I have more data about that, I'm going to have a better chance of success. Sure. Big data is a path to that everywhere. Yeah. I guess the big question and my final question would be, um, you know, clearly we're, you know, the, the data is the new oil. That's been a accepted wisdom for probably a better part of a decade. Um, you know, we're moving into kind of, you know, a mature information economy now, is this kind of a cautionary tale? You know, the the degree to which is is also fueling a kind of black market for this data and and a lot of uh, unseemly behavior. And and what can we do to um, kind of cut that off in the same way that I guess in the United States, you know, you saw organized crime infiltrate, uh, you know, labor unions and uh, you know construction and and industries like that. Um, you know, is it, is is it a similar type of problem? And what can we do about it? Yeah, I mean, ironically, you might find myself to be a, a little bit of a data cynic in this regard. Yeah, uh, you know, I I really think that I don't know that I'm personally, and maybe this not for the company necessarily, but me personally, I'm not sure that I'm the biggest believer that this type of data mining and analysis really needs to be around to drive our economy. Yeah, uh, I recognize there's other parts of data measurement and analytics, of course, that will help us, but the mining of of private data data habits. Um, I'm just not sure it's really all that necessary for legitimate business. Um, and I think potentially there's a good opportunity for governments to take a stronger approach globally to yeah. restricting this type of data collection. Because I'm again, I'm just not sure that there's really, truly a legitimate reason for kind it. Kind of Im impose costs on that type of data hoarding um, yeah. to discourage the behavior. Yeah. I mean, like me, for example, and I, I don't mean to be cheeky, but you know, I don't need somebody to promote a related item every time I do a search <laughs> on the engine. I'll find that thing if I want it, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and look, sometimes it's great. Sometimes you find something that you weren't looking for. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like, you know, the, the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze for that one. Right. Especially yeah. since those ads chase you around for months after you've already purchased that object, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I bought that two months ago. Stop right. these ads. Yeah, stop. Yeah. You should, if you if you can track me that well that I want it, then you should be able to track that <laughs> you I bought know it. That I just bought it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Brandon Hoffman of Intel four seventy one. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger Podcast. Thanks for having me. Hope everybody listening has a great day. Mm -hmm.